0: We're back to the Neil Haley show here on the Caregiver Dave celebrity segment. I'm excited welcome to welcome the program Caregiver Dave the Sandy. Dave, how are you, man? What's up?
1: I'm um, doing great here in Southern California. Kind of windy. Is it windy down there where you are? Or, oh, it's hard.
0: or is, down corn, down is, is it windy right corn, now? i sorry. Is it, how's the weather right now for you?
1: Very windy. Very windy. windy. Okay. Cold so wind right off I, the so, snow.
0: So we all know her from The Bachelor. And also Bachelor in Paradise. And I'm excited to welcome Corinne Olympios. Corinne, thanks for stopping by. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm so good. How are you guys?
0: Fantastic. So let's talk about specifically, because you always want to be a performer. Was that something growing up entertainer? Was that something growing up you wanted to do?
2: Yeah, well, I just always really loved being the center of attention. So it just fit.
0: (laughs) A center of attention. So what age did you start becoming the center of attention?
2: Very, very young, straight out the womb. I was always very needy.
0: Uh, very needy. So, what types of, so when you were younger, that type of attention would be just kind of, did you throw the tantrum, t- tamper tantrums to get attention early? Like,
2: like, hey, watch this. And I'd like sing a song or like do a dance. And I'd oh, there like, you go. like try to make everybody laugh always and do like silly things. I was super into like impersonating cartoons. Like, I would be like doing, like Jim Carrey style impersonations of like the cartoons that I would watch. Like, I, and I, I didn't even know what I was really doing. And my parents were like, "Whoa,
1: whoa,
2: we got a star here. There's a star in the family.
1: (laughs) And were you the class clown too? Getting in trouble in class?
2: I was, I loved being like the one that everyone would be like, oh my God, like, look, like Corinne's doing something funny. Like, (laughs)
1: like
2: everyone laughing. And did that get you in
1: detention a lot?
2: No, my teachers loved it too, honestly. I went to a super small private school where I was like, we, we all were just like, no rules cool, really.
1: Cool. And,
0: just be, and uh, you're still doing comedy. Yep. Yeah. That, so, I am doing comedy. And that's interesting. I wanna know more about that whole comedy experience. Did you do some acting? Did you take acting classes growing up and stuff? And did you do some theater and things like that before the opportunity with The Bachelor? <laughs>
1: Maybe she taught Um, acting. (laughs)
2: um, I did some acting lessons um, privately. And um, I I liked it a lot. I just, like, reality was where I was supposed to be because being myself and being me is, like, where I thrive. (sighs) So I think reality was a good intro to the entertainment world. But I am getting back into acting and I'm getting into stand-up. Um, I headlined the Irvine Improv right before the pandemic, and it was supposed to kick off my tour, and it all went to crap. So now we're starting again, and I'm super excited. It's my first show back, February 20th, um, in Huntington Beach.
1: Awesome. How old were you when you did your first official comedy routine, and do you write your own material? I mean, it just comes out of your head, or do you copy somebody? I have
2: write- Partner who helps me build out my ideas, um, who knows me very well. So we work really well together and we build out these bits and um, they work. I was doing a bunch of type fives at the comedy store um, in LA when I lived here when I was 28. I first started and now um, it led me to headline at the improv, uh, my own show, which was super incredible. And now I'm going to go on tour doing my own shows.
1: Wow, good for you. Is your so partner think... a
0: comic as well? Go ahead. Uh, no. no. So let's kind of jump into this specifically enough. One, you said reality television was the first step for you in this process of this journey. Yeah. Was always comedy in the back of your mind? I'm going to be doing this. This is no ifs, ands, or buts, but this is just going to be where I'm going to get, you know, get my, get my, build my brand and then go to that what were you thinking when you had took the
2: I my my whole team um especially my manager who's very close with me really really wanted me to always do stand up they were always encouraging me to do it and i literally said to them i will never in my life do that i it's not what i want to do i'm not doing it and i don't even know how or why i was convinced to do a tight 5 and i did and i fell in love and i just really loved how scared i was and <laughs> then the feeling after So I kind of, I I never really planned to do it. And here I am.
1: Wow. Yeah. There's nothing like that feeling trying to make people laugh and that fear of what if they don't laugh?
2: It's so scary.
1: (laughs) I know I did four. I did a four minute set. And so I'm, I understand, but I did make them laugh. That's good.
2: Yes. Good. Good.
1: That was on my bucket list.
0: So how do you warm people up? You know, sometimes when you're, you have to get that first joke out. (sighs) The first thing, how do you do it, Corinne, to not be cringing if, what if they don't say anything? And oh my gosh, I have to go to the next joke.
2: I, I, yeah. I, well, when I first started, I was like, oh, this is like my first show. This is only my second show. So here I am. Like, I would just like tell them kind of like.
1: Disarm them.
2: Yeah. But then it made them like so much more encouraging, which was cool. But now I can't really do that because I'm a little bit more seasoned. So I feel like I'm going to start with like a feng shui joke, like moving the mic stand a little bit. That always gets it going.
1: That's funny. Do you hope
0: that through this experience and your success in comedy, that could land a, you know, a great role on a TV show or movie?
2: A hundred percent. That's the goal for me. The goal for me is in the next five to 10 years, like I, my goal is to have my own late night show. I'm going to be doing that one way or another. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be the next Ellen DeGeneres.
1: Johnny Carson was great with the Tonight Show because he started so many comics careers. I don't know if we have something like that today. You know, The Tonight Show is still there, but it's not Johnny.
2: Yeah, we need just like a good old fashioned late night talk show. Just plain late night talk show. Nothing fancy smanshy. Just nice, good old late night talk show with. Interviewing fun people, maybe
1: so, that'll and, be you. you. Hey,
0: you think that's that's I'm missing? Do it. You, she says she do already it. said it, she already <laughs> said she's gonna do it, Dave. So she's gonna All do right. it. That's the bottom line. So, the point I'm making, Corinne, is do, do you feel that it's missing uh, in late night talk, especially different talk shows that are really not having those conversations? It's really kind of just not that interesting or not entertaining to the way you want. Political uh, night, night talk, talk, yeah.
2: I mean, I I mean, the way I would do my late night talk show would just be different. So, yeah, I mean, I love the whole concept of it. Sorry, I'm not really sure what you're asking. No, I'm like,
0: so, so I'm, I'm taking you down that, like you said, you wanted to be traditional talk show. How yeah. would you run that with uh, not giving everything away if you had your own late night talk show?
2: I would do my own stand-up comedy, have really cool guests on that are relevant at the time talk about real life stuff um and just kind of have fun with it
1: yeah
0: that, that sounds cool it. yeah I yeah and there's always different ones in so many ways and yeah and, yeah, know, yeah. Never- i just feel
2: like all the like people are trying to get like so crazy with the, with the games and the, this and all that's fun but like i just want to do a good old comedy late night show with corinne
0: yeah. And see, you know, Stephen Colbert does that in a lot of ways. In the fact that he interviews the people, he has a little comedy set, but he's really not doing as many of the gimmicks. He's sitting down and talking to people and having a, a interview. As a journalist myself, I want to see more of a conversation, you know, yeah. especially let's learn about your project. Let's know what's really deep about it. Now have a conversation on what happened last week you know, some really delving deep into the project. So people say, hey, I'm going to go watch <sighs> that TV show or I'm going to go that. No, yeah, down in this conversation. Hey, like they're having a cup of coffee. I just don't see that as entertaining as I really want to know about, especially if it's somebody like, you know, Ozark just came out. I want to hear from the actor, really the not more of the, the thought process with the fans and everything with Ozark. Not, oh, what'd you do last week? That just, that's just, that's, I don't, that's what I don't care for. I want more of a traditional talk show, have a conversation with somebody, really learn about what makes them tick and what makes them do that. So I'm going to segue to a question right now for you, Corinne, when you're thinking as a comedian, what is your ultimate goal after you're done performing? What do you want your audience to get the most out of?
2: Like, what do I want to walk away feeling? Yeah. I accomplished during
0: that time accomplished. Yes. For your family and you, Mm -hmm.
2: I, what to me is the most amazing compliment is like when someone says to me, wow, like this made me like you so much more. I, I feel really like relatable to you. I love how relatable you are. And I feel like you're just very real. I love when people tell me that, um, I don't want it to ever feel too like scripted or acty because I'm a very part of the reason why I was so successful with coming off the bachelor was because I was always very much myself. And I was so just genuine in how I was feeling at the time. And I didn't really put on an act and I was just me. And I, and people were like, at first they hated me, but then people were like, actually, she's just a normal girl. And everything she's saying is how we're all feeling. And so when people would come up to me and meet me, they were just like, I like, they would just come hug me and they're like, sorry, I didn't mean to just like hug you like that. I just feel like I know you. And a lot like that's basically what a lot of people would say to me. And that to me is really, really important.
1: So let's talk about reality TV because, you know, it goes from one gambit to the next. Uh, Some are criticized for being too scripted, some are just ridiculous. What was it like on that show? And how did your um, desire to be real conflict with those who wanted to be scripted?
2: I mean, it's not about being scripted or not scripted. It's just like, we were all normal, just regular girls at the time. And when camera was would go up, they would just be like,
1: <laughs>
2: we, have to be, we have to be very polite and very together. And for me, I was like, Like, just be yourself. Like, it's fine. And then I would just, like, have a couple drinks and just, like, act how I would act if I was just, like, dating a guy. Like, you know, I didn't do things I didn't want to do. And I was just me. And people thought it was great and funny because people don't act like that on reality TV because people try to be something they're not. And I did not do that.
1: And that's, is that really hard for most people to do just be themselves on or off TV? And I would think that they would just not tell you when they're filming because they would get more of a genuineness. No.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think just people like, because they've never been in front of the camera before, like we were all very, we were all just like.
1: Unseasoned.
2: (laughs) New, very new. No one's been in front of the camera before. So like a lot of people can't handle it.
0: And then the experience once finally the show airs, right? You went and taped it. You did that experience. You went through the challenges of the whole thing. And then you have to relive it. Did you rewatch yeah. all of it? Or did you and, watch it? And,
1: and were you pleased at your performance when you watch Some people hate it. to watch themselves.
2: Yeah. I mean, I watch it now. And like, given it's been a couple of years, so I'm a completely different human now. Um, like, <laughs> where like. Just some stuff I said was just batshit insane. But I, <laughs> I, at the time I was proud of myself. I was like, listen, I literally did not put on any sort of act and this is how I am. And yeah, there were moments where I was like, oh, <laughs> but um, yeah, but that's anybody. I mean, anybody's going to have moments where they cringe at themselves anytime.
0: And after that experience, was it challenging to the now you're a celebrity, right? in so many ways from that one, the, the experience of the bachelor, then people recognize you everywhere. How have you dealt with it and and continue to deal with it with being in the limelight and stuff? How do you, how do you go deal with that?
2: It's I love it. I mean, I, I mean, who wouldn't, I mean, people like are the meanest thing someone's ever said to me was like a guy came up to me and was like, you're Corinne. My wife fucking hates you. And (sighs) I was like, it's okay. Sometimes I hate myself too.
1: <laughs> so, how but recognizable are I've- you if you go out in public?
0: Oh, D- yeah, Dave, she is. Trust me. <laughs> if the Bachelor is one of the, how big of a brand and how much is it watched all over the world, Corinne? A ton, right?
2: <laughs> how many views does it, have? like 10, mil- 10 million views?
3: Bachelor? Yeah. Yeah, it's huge ratings. It's hard. Yeah, the
2: ratings are like huge. My ratings were of course the highest because i was just so entertaining but you know
1: and forgive my forgive my ignorance time. but who's the uh demographics Younger Dave, it's gigantic
0: just all i have to say
2: everybody now everybody, everybody. there's tons of everybody.
0: people it is prime time one of the top rated shows every every um, season right isn't that correct yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So everyone, so it just depends, Dave, you just have not chosen that because you're still binge watching different things. But when you're talking reality television, Bachelor's probably top five, would you say, of reality yeah. shows? P- pretty much. And it doesn't matter yeah. how long you are on the show, you will be recognizable. And we're Corinne's experience and having being part of the bachelor brand and then how do you want you you don't always want to be typecast that so that's another challenge what you deal with uh,
2: yeah the thing is is what like they they tried to carry on like because i i changed the game for the show a lot uh there's never been like someone like me that was just the way it was and they tried to carry it on after and cast people to replace me and we've heard that from producers on the show, they were like, no, she was cast to be the next Corinne Olympias. And it just never worked, because you can't
1: There's be... only one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, um, um, that was kind of weird for a while, but people saw it, and it was like kind of like a buzz, like, oh, they're trying to create more Corinne Olympias, and it's it's not working. So that wasn't working for a while. I haven't watched the show this season at all, but I think they chilled out with that a little bit. And for me... Um, I, I love my bachelor family. It's where Corinne was born into the public world, but, um, I don't know, like for me, I feel like I'd be ready to go back on if I were to be cast as like the next bachelorette because I'm single again. And like, I just feel like they could use a little bit of Corinne Olympias, like the real true one back if they'll ever get over their little pissy fit, but we'll see.
0: Hey, you heard it here first on the Neil Haley show. You
1: I guess I to, don't know just, what the hissy fit is. But so I guess, so yeah, Dave, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, going to have to
0: do some read up. I All was right. reading up a little bit, but I promised I'm not. Yeah, we'll,
2: I'm, we'll let you Google that
0: later. Yeah, yeah you Google that later. <laughs> and I won't do that because I don't want to talk because everyone else asks you that same gossip question. I just really want to know who the real person is. That's the, like you want in the talk show. You're not going to go and go on it when you're, you have your late night show because you believe in it. You will have it. You're not going to go and say something that's going to make them cringe. Right, that's not fair. It's more of a conversation to really get to know the real person. You know, when we have these experiences, these things that you know, some people see on camera and some people see that happen off camera. You don't want to talk about those things. You want to talk about what makes people happy and real, because it's all about being yeah. happy and real at the end. Yeah. Of it. It's not
2: like when I went on Ellen, it was a little bit like there were there were tough questions and I, it, like questions got a little tough for a while. And it's like, why is there no like talk show where I can? I can like come on and be like excited to tell you what's going on with me and what projects I'm doing and, and tell you about like things that I'm excited to tell you about. It's always like a, no, you want to know like this certain question and you're going to keep drilling me about it. It just sound uncomfortable Like when you come on the Corinne Olympia's late night show, you're going to talk about everything that makes you excited to be working in the entertainment business and what you're doing. And we're going to have so much fun. That's what I want.
0: See, and that's the thing. And, and I'm sure because of those kind of questions, anytime you get on a talk show, are they going to ask a question that's cringeworthy? And so, trust me, because I've done this for 12 years and interviewed 7,000 plus people and interviewed celebrities all the time, I would never want to be put in that position because ultimately I, you know, I wasn't on a big stage like you, but I was a former professional wrestler. So I knew what would happen backstage. And I also knew what would happen once we left and you know we go with the fans or do different things so i would never want to put somebody in that position and that's what media is about and that's why a lot of people just turn it off corinne that's the honest to god truth your fans don't want to hear the same thing over and over again they want something new
2: tell you like about this one thing that we already like know about in our past like let's talk about things that i'm doing now and like how behind the scenes is and how like i've I'm growing my show and this nad and what I'm gonna do next. Like that stuff's fun and interesting. You don't want exactly. to keep hearing about the thing that happened four fucking years ago.
1: Exactly. But just so <laughs> you know, because I don't I don't know who you are. I'm one of the few people in the I world who and has I never seen you. you. And I like you. You're wonderful. You got a Thanks. great personality. <clears throat> You're very authentic. And I would Thanks. tune in to watch you.
0: Now and then Sir Comedy. And it- okay. go Grun.
2: No, no, that means a lot. I was just saying,
0: thank uh, you. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So, Dave has a final question. It's involved in caregiving. So, go ahead, Dave, with your question.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I have a gas station for 47 years, but 25 years ago, my wife had a stroke. We've married for that long, about 47 years as well. And she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And you know, we were concerned and and uh, in this grief period for a couple of years, then we reinvented ourselves and figured it out. And and now I'm Caregiver Dave. I help other caregivers uh, because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. Maybe you know some caregivers, uh, grandparents or whatever. And so I started caregiverdave.com. It's a community support group. I've been on TV all over the country and speak on stages everywhere. And uh, I just talk to normal people and say, hey, you know, have you thought about caregiving? Because eventually you're either going to become a caregiver one day or you're going to need a caregiver one day. And now's the time to think about it, because, you know, I was just living a normal life on August 31st, 1996. And then the very next day, bam, my whole life is turned upside down. Have you thought about that? Do you know anybody who's a caregiver?
2: Well, um, I don't. My, my grandparents don't have caregivers. They don't need them yet
4: cool
2: Um, around that but lucky
1: you lucky you but one day (laughs) just smile that in the back of your brain
2: yes one day i will need a caregiver and i will get it from (laughs) CaregiverDave.com.
1: see
0: that's a great see that's a great poem we'll have to place that but corinne everyone needs to check out your comedy show how can they do it Tell us, especially yeah. when it's coming up and all that stuff. Go
2: ahead. I'm, I'm going to be posting on my Instagram at c Olympias um, where you can go. It's going to be at Rec Room in Huntington Beach, California, on February 20th. Um, there are limited tickets because of like COVID reasons, um, so they're only filling up half the space. So as soon as I post, it's 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 going to be get your tickets quick because. It's my first show back. It's going to be a very big deal. It's going to be so fun. I'm having celebrity guests. Um, it's it's there's a lot of surprises. It's going to be great. It's going to, it's it's going to be a late night talk show.
1: There See? you go. You're auditioning, yeah. and
0: so so you can't tell us the celebrities yet. You have to stay no. up here by following your Instagram. And what's your
1: Instagram?
2: It's at C-Olympios, My last name.
0: Oh my gosh. So that's you,
1: do you have your comedy on YouTube as well? I mean, can we see some stuff you've done? In the past?
2: I, I am going to start putting my comedy on YouTube. It is not up there yet, but right. yes, that will be a thing once I get started this next month.
1: Great.
0: Your fans are excited, right? They're definitely excited and it'll be a quick sellout for sure. And then more of the tour, right? You, is the tour after that fact? Or are you- my,
2: my, I just want to add in my fans that follow me on Instagram Like, yeah, they love when I post, like, pretty pictures and, you know, whatever. I'm an Instagram model. Yeah, but, like, I will get probably a 100 messages a week that are like, hey, we we know you're really pretty. Like, can you post more of your funny stuff? Like, my (laughs) fans love my comedy.
1: Yeah, do it.
0: There you go. There you go. Okay. We appreciate it, Corinne. Thanks for stopping by and uh, really enjoyed seeing the raw Corinne and learning about what makes her passionate. And uh, someday you're going to have your own late night talk show. Hope. So yeah. we will waiting yes. on that. Or is But she-
2: until then, tune into my uh, podcast. Corinne saves us all.
0: Okay.
1: There's another one. So and nice meeting one. you for the first time. Thank and you.
0: then there's one more promo. You're going to be the next bachelorette, right? So we're ready. Yep. So, so, yep. so
1: there you Even go. Even if
2: I have to like hire a crew and like film it myself, maybe I should just do that and just maybe. do a Corinne Olympia dating show on YouTube. Okay.
1: Or Only Corinne could pull that off.
0: So your agent needs to start working. And get those. See, legal- let's do it. Okay. I okay, appreciate okay. it. Thanks for stopping Thank by. It. Bye bye. All right, guys. That bye. was the bye. Haley bye. Show. Caregiver Dave Celebrity Second. Take care.
3: Picture Perfect Podcasts, your home for entertainment, such as the Wrestling Wayback Podcast and the 80s hour. Now featuring celebrity interviews from some of your favorite celebrities. So join me every Wednesday and Thursday night on spreaker.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. We're back here to the
0: Neil Haley Show, and I am excited to talk 80s, talk 80s, talk wrestling. And he's going to be a guest every month on the Neil Haley Show. Juan Aleman. Juan, how are you, man? And, uh, you know, I want to know, first of all, why 80s and 90s? What makes it, as we see your background and all the different 80s and 90s stuff, what made it such an, an exciting time for you, 80s and 90s?
3: Well, first of all, Neil, thank you for having me. I am very happy to be here. Why 80s and 90s? That is when I was growing up. And I know for most of us, the time when we're growing up, we say it can't be beat. That was the best time of our lives. But if you look at it now, everybody's going back to the 80s with the music, uh, the reboots of the movies, um, the remakes of movies. It's just phenomenal what's going on with the 80s and I'm just glad to be able to share my portion of it my memories of it uh, online it's just a pleasure to do that
0: exactly and in the 80s it's it's such a wonderful time so you talk 80s and 90s and then you talk rest and you have the wrestling way back podcast we're going first of all to the 80s why the 80s uh, you decide to do the podcast, but is it something that just always comes back to you? Is that the time you really grew up as what age were you in the 80s? And what? And then let's talk some of the favorite stuff in the 80s.
3: All right. Well, I was between 8 and 18 uh, during the 80s. So that was really my whole developmental cycle right there. And um, what really I think my favorite part of it was the movies. I've always been a big movie fan, uh, and I listen to music, and I like the music from the 80s. I really do, but I can sit back and watch an 80s movie like Flash Gordon, like uh, Enemy Mine, uh, Back to the Future, E.T., Ghostbusters. It goes on and on with some of the best movies that ever came out during that time, and uh, that's what I really love about it.
0: You know you start thinking about the 80s and there's so many new shows on like cobra kai you look at uh there's other uh, again the 80s stuff that just like you know just you, you just can't believe you're so into it and you look at this and look at the stories of you know the the what the 80s bring and i just did something about the 80s and something about '80s stars or something about 80s movies and you can just keep going on and on about it couldn't you
3: oh yes and I do every week. It's been I've been going at this for about three years, and um, I keep coming up with with new ideas, with new concepts, uh, with uh, different types of shows. Sometimes it's movies, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's just a celebrity uh, from the time and what they're doing up until now. It it's a never ending uh, Pandora's box. It just keeps on giving.
0: It it definitely is. It's something that, you know, and the way your show's evolving now with celebrities, and sometimes they're not even part of the 80s, they're going to talk 80s, and that's exciting. And and then sometimes you're just going and talking to your fans. There's just so much to talk about in the 80s. And
3: if you're talking favorite 80s movie, what was your favorite 80s movie? I think it has to be The World According to Garp with uh, Robin Williams. That is one of my favorite movies. Robin Williams was probably my favorite actor of all time. Um, May rest in peace. And uh, the way that movie's done is just, just amazing. His acting is spot on throughout the entire thing. And it it just grabs you and takes you on a journey throughout. I love that movie.
0: It seems like it's like, you know, and so I don't know what my favorite 80s movie was, but definitely Karate Kid's one of my favorites in the 80s. Uh, But there's so, so, so many more, uh, you know, anything in Star Wars, no doubt 80s, just wow, you know, starting with the first one. Then all the others, I think were in the 80s, if I'm correct. Uh, But you just think there's Back to the Future. There's just so many different things uh, involving. And you're the fans who listen to you live, What are you seeing from them? They just have a lot of different 80s memories so far.
3: They do have a lot of 80s memories, which I appreciate. And I do give trivia along with the show. So if I'm talking about someone very specific and then I might ask a follow up to something that happened in a movie they were in, Uh, it's just a way of uh, adding a little bit more entertainment to it.
0: Exactly. Exactly entertainment that's the uh, important thing if you don't have entertainment you don't have anything and it's not exciting and it's, it's just you know blah in certain ways without the entertainment side of uh things with the 80s and and, and I think that people will talk about 80s forever let's talk about the wrestling Wayback Podcast. What makes you such a professional wrestling fan? So both of these podcasts are available. They're available on Helium Radio. They're available at Spreaker. And then you can go to your website, and we'll talk about that by the end of this. But tell me wrestling. Because again, some i a former pro wrestler, you know, I wrestled in the 90s, so I was the Attitude Era. And I did the minor league thing, went to Germany, and uh, really experienced a lot of one of the hottest times of professional wrestling. Packed gymnasiums, and I think independent wrestling's coming back in that way. But tell me why pro wrestling?
3: I started watching pro wrestling. I, I grew up in East Texas, and my grandmother was a fan of the Junkyard Dog from Mid South, and uh, she would say, "You know, come sit down, let's watch." And I was, I was um, just fascinated. Since then, it, it was something that I always wanted to watch. It was something that I shared with someone very special with me. And then as I grew up, it was such an art form. Not only um, what the wrestlers did, whether they were male or female, but um, the way they cut promos, the way they uh, walked to the ring, the way they held the audience in their hands. Wrestling just amazes me. It's such an art form.
0: It 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 definitely is and, and what what your favorite time and the it seems like if you're watching listening to, watching the mid-south, uh you said 80s and 90s pretty much when you talked and wrestling uh on your podcast, right?
3: Oh yes. Uh 70s, 80s, and 90s is usually what I talk about. Uh, a couple of weeks ago I had a show on a guy that that um started in the 60s. Um uh, um the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. Okay. And uh He had a match last year, 2021, as a retirement match. Who knows if he's done? That's what amazes me about wrestling uh, is the longevity of some of the wrestlers, uh, the way they take care of of their bodies, things like that. It's, It's an art form.
0: It truly is an art form, and you just never know uh the 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 different things that can be part of that and to think about somebody wrestling to 2021 you know jerry the king lawler still does what other topics have you covered so far and i know you have a special wrestling guest uh uh, dr sean stasiak again sean stasiak is is the son of the late great stan stasiak but he also is uh, wcw tag team champion in the world and also former and also hardcore champion in wwe So he has a lot of great stories and stuff. I'm looking forward to when that air, that match, I mean, that show drops, but let's kind of talk a little bit about uh, some of these other topics you've talked about in wrestling on the
3: show. Well, uh, I talk about like what, what my top 10 pay-per-view matches of all time are, or um, I had one show that was just uh, the Crockett cup, the inaugural Crockett cup. Who who was entered? Who won? How did uh, how long the matches were? Uh, I've talked about uh, the rise and fall of ECW, um, uh, the Attitude Era. I did I did have a show on the Attitude Era. Uh, just different topics that that kind of entertain me. Uh, sometimes it's just about a wrestler. I've talked about the Undertaker. I've talked about stone cold i've talked about uh rocky johnson uh the rock just it, it's um as as a fan i usually speak from a fan's point of view
0: it's, it seems like you do and that, that fan perspective that's such a important part of it and this to talk about because these fans are just and the different jo- genres and, and areas talking ecw well that's going to get in a controversy especially and now looking at wrestling today and say well is the wrestling the way that these great wrestlers that really knew their craft and knew how to cut the right promos and everything you know nature boy rick flair is ever going to be another rick Flair's are going to be another hulk hogan's ever going to be another rock all those things in the 70s 80s, and 90s are out there and you learn from those specific uh topics with the fans and say hey is this something what do you think is going to happen do you want the days back of the uh you know of Lawler and the mid-south coliseum do you want the the kind of matches that were territorial matches you know dallas sport or do you want you like it the way it is today and i'm sure you get a mixed bag of conversations based on 70s 80s and 90s versus today's wrestling right
3: oh definitely uh you have the fans of the territories And uh, why can't it go back to that? Uh, And then you have, of course, the fans that are just glad that there's two really major companies competing again, because competition breeds uh, excellence, I think. And uh, with that, you're seeing more and more daring things happening, more stories being told, uh, digging a little bit deeper than just we're going to go out there and put on a show. It's it's um, I think the competition level is changing yeah. with that.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's changing and it's changing for uh, and the, the depends on what you, what you're looking for. You're looking for the giants in wrestling, even though some of them are coming back again, are you looking, do you like the dot that there's a mixed bag of professional wrestling or some guys don't look like wrestlers so the the debate will continue to go on and on i mean the sad thing is i can jump into the ring tomorrow and look better than a lot of these guys after maybe two months of training and i'm 49 years old so what does that say about the business today and what does it say about who are the guys that are pushed and not pushed and how the business has changed so that's the that's the part of it the conversation the way ba- uh, way back wrestling podcast is available and also your 80s podcast best place to go what is the website
3: picture perfect podcasts with an s.com there you can learn about me you can learn about the programs they're right there you can listen to them download them and then you can also go to my store and uh if you like the shows you want to support them order yourself a sticker or a t-shirt that just says the eighties hour or the wrestling way back podcast, just to show others what you're listening to. And maybe they'll ask you about it and you can strike up a conversation that way. Uh, Also on there, um, there are links to, of course, the helium site and um, a way to contact me. There's an email contact form. If you have show ideas, if you have comments send them to me. I'm more than happy to read them. And then also, if you like what you hear, leave me a review. That's the best way to let others know what's happening and what you think of what's happening on the 80s Hour and the Wrestling Way Back podcasts. Got merch? That's the big thing, right? Got merch. Yeah. Got to go ahead and go
0: right to the website to purchase the merch. Look forward to talking to you next um, month more about your amazing guests that you had in January and where people can find the links to those interviews and also all the stuff. Go out and binge a lot of what Juan's putting out there. I appreciate you coming by and we will again talk next month, okay? Thank you, Neil. It's great to talk to you. You're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light in the Morning podcast. I'm excited to welcome you Margo Lemark. Margo, how are you? What's going on?
5: I'm doing great, Neil. How are you? I'm busy as usual, but I'm glad to be on this podcast with you.
0: It's, It's your podcast. I'm excited to chat with you, and we're going to talk about Again, now this chapter involving the medicine bag, chapter nine. And it's interesting, Margo, and I think that reflecting and the further we do in the going to the podcast about really reflections about remembering people that we have lost specifically and how we can keep going back to their memories and how we could still communicate with them. Charlie's another interesting person that you highlighted in this book, right?
5: Yes, yes.
0: So let's let's go, let's jump into specifically chapter nine and uh, learn more about Charlie.
5: Well, you know Charlie was really an interesting character in my life for so many reasons. He was not a normal human being. He um, was very very multifaceted and deeply spiritual and really really interesting. He was pretty much connected to this Vedic tradition of knowledge in India as well as the Native American. Um, wisdom and knowledge and uh he he was kind of a loner loved being just totally on his own in the woods in a canoe in northern Wisconsin um you know paddling the boundary waters and I think those were his happiest moments and he started out there and he ended up there actually after kind of traveling the world and um, so it's interesting how, how the circle comes around in your life, you know, how you come back to your roots like he did. And, um, yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin to talk about him. There's, there's too much to tell about him personally, and I could have made an entire book out of him, but, you know, in fact, I made a small chapter instead trying to get the point across, but, um, yeah, he, he was an interesting character and he taught me, he taught me something for sure, lots of things in life, but but one of the things he really taught me was about the medicine bag, and that's why I, I called the chapter that because. Um, and I won't go into the all all the details of the chapter and the story of my medicine bag that that I had for him, but I ended up putting a medicine bag in his casket with him. And I learned a lot about doing that because it reminded me, you know how in Egypt they they bury pharaohs with their favorite things? Yes. <laughs> I realized that, that how symbolic that is. We bury people with our wonderful love and intentions for their next life or for their future, whatever that is. We, we send things with them. And so I realized the this, this symbolism of putting all of that that kind of, stuff in their, you know, in their tombs. Because I put that in in Charlie's casket with him. And it was powerful. What I put in that medicine bag, and then I sent it to the funeral home, they opened the casket and put it in there with him, it was pretty darn phenomenal. And I really feel like something happened as a result of that. He he got all of that, his soul received all of the intentions and love and, and um, the good wishes and the symbols that I put in that medicine bag for him.
0: Most definitely. And I think that the, the symbols and those things, and so putting together a medicine bag, so let's put it in a way of if you were creating a medicine bag for somebody else, how do you create one of those?
5: Well, I actually created an actual medicine bag because he's into the uh, Native American you know, uh, tradition, um, b- but it made me realize that we all need to send somebody with a medicine bag, and now I'm speaking metaphorically. We need to really, it- it's a point of having a funeral. It's a point of taking time to yourself when someone has passed, and really consciously sending them with specific good wishes and your love and your appreciation for everything they were to you. That is that is as real as putting gems in a tomb. It's, it's maybe more real because it's subtler. So when I actually put a physical leather medicine bag with things in it in Charlie's casket, I realized that we need to do that for everyone. It doesn't have to be a leather medicine bag. It just has to be a a combination of the time we spend um, giving our our thoughts, our very consciously directed thoughts to those people. That is what a medicine bag is. And we need to send everybody off with, with our own special medicine bag for them. Um, so it's a little bit more than what we've been talking about before, Neil, you know, we've been talking about remembering them, we've been talking about, um, grieving them properly. This is slightly different. It's actually taking the time to compose our thoughts to them, our intentions for them, our love to them and our appreciation for them. That becomes, um, a big thought bubble, (laughs) which becomes a medicine bag that goes with them.
0: And then that's really interesting. And I think that the, the whole process of learning how to create a medicine bag. So anyone can create a medicine bag, it sounds like.
5: Well, and we need to. Yes. And everyone should. Because all, all we have to do to create it is just sit quietly, very consciously, and you know, speak to them in our minds and our hearts. It's, just, it's, it's literally some quiet moments spent sending them what we intend to send with them when they go. It's as if they were there in person and we were telling them our last thoughts very sincerely, our appreciation and our love. We are putting that together in a conversation with them. That's what the medicine bag is. And you know, here, here's the thing, Neil, we, we need to kind of live with a medicine bag in our heart and we need to put things in our medicine bag as we go along in our life with somebody. Put our good thoughts in there, put our good appreciation in there so that when somebody does leave us, the medicine bag is pretty intact. All we have to do is sort of summarize it, tie it up, and then, you know, uh, spiritually, mentally pass it on to them when they die. So, you know, we could start creating a medicine bag. We should be creating medicine bags in our heart for people right now as we live with them on this planet. It's an interesting concept.
0: It definitely is. And I, I mean, surprise, surprise. And how we we talk about here on the Light in the Morning podcast. But when you talk about a medicine bag, that's something that, you know, definitely could be something to post out there on your social media to tell people about, ask more about those things, because it's another memory. And Margo, I think that in so many ways, you know, remembering that loved one once they pass is in living on, as we've talked about in a lot of other episodes is so important, but having that physical medicine bag. Wow. That's another, another component to it. And then you bring in that creativity too, right? Margo when creating one of those.
5: Yeah. Well, in this case, I actually created a physical medicine, medicine bag for him and it, it was really an interesting process. The things that came to me to put in it, I hadn't seen him for quite a few years. And, um, but he was such a close, close friend to me, it didn't matter that I didn't see him for those years. And um, because he became pretty reclusive. And, but, but it's so interesting how when I was feeling him, I knew exactly what to put in that physical leather medicine bag that I passed on with him. And I, you know, I called the funeral home and I told him I wanted to do that. And obviously in a medicine bag, if it's Native American, there's, there's tobacco, there's, you know, cedar, there's lots of things that go in there. Um, but then you, you create, yeah, you create your own, what you feel should be in there. And I, I really got it all in there. And here's what's interesting, Neil. When I did his funeral, I flew up to um, Northern Wisconsin to do it. And um, I, had to because I sent the medicine bag I created for him to the funeral home they buried it with him so now I needed another one so I created another medicine bag and put tobacco in there and um and some other things and when I went to the funeral head I had everybody come up it was closed casket I had everybody come up and take a little piece of tobacco and say a silent prayer into the tobacco and put it on top of the um casket and I'm telling you, it was such a beautiful ceremony. He was very present. And there are these little kids with their little tiny fingers, you know, pulling the, the tobacco out, saying something so sweet to Charlie and then putting it on, on the um, casket. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was very, very moving. It, it was really something. So it, it was a beautiful experience with Charlie, I have to say.
3: Wow,
0: it's uh, interesting. I, I would say, Margo, have you created any other medicine bags for anybody else? Because this could be a good, even though it's a Native American tradition, it's something that could be done that's pretty interesting for somebody, especially. Yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anybody anybody could do it. I mean, you know, we can do anything we want, you know, we can do anything we feel. But I think the important thing is to realize. What we feel for that particular person, what I've done for every single person is totally different than everybody else. It's all very unique, and and I I, I look at ceremony around when people die, and I think it's really important to just do whatever you feel. Um, this one this one actually called for a physical medicine bag, but um, you know others have called for something else. You know. But and they're all very different and they're all kind of monumental. They're all there's little monuments in my life for these people, and I remember them through that.
0: And it's just it's the hardest thing is when you lose that person to be able to do that and then have that special memory and uh, go through that. So I think it's something that is, you know, not out there and it doesn't have, matter who it is, but you could create something that's like a medicine bag for that loved one to put in their casket that they can remember that can be part of the whole process and that connection that could stay with you forever. So who knew where we would go in all this? But what do you think uh, with Charlie you learned the most that moved forward, you know, and even you writing this book? Because again, that's putting yourself out there, Margot, to write the uh, light in the morning. And so kind of tell me, you know, something you learned from Charlie.
5: All right, I'll tell you something I learned from him. Um, Charlie was a very, very... Refined artist. I mean, beautiful, beautiful artist. He was extremely refined. And he spent many, many years with his spiritual master meditating in Switzerland, and where he didn't even come home. He just stayed there in deep meditation. And um, when he came home, I, I got the brunt of all of that beautiful knowledge that he experienced during that time. And then we went separate ways. We both married other people. And then as the years went on, he got um, he he changed. He went from being so refined, those same refined hands went went to um, dealing in scrap metal and and selling it and um, building homes with his hands and stuff. And so he became kind of rough and tough as life went on. And I said, Charlie, you've changed. And he said, well, Margo. I have found that if you don't keep in touch with the ditch, then you're not real. You don't have the real, you know, perspective on life. And so he went from all this refined kind of enlightened, enlightened kind of living to then this real rough and tough, um, world. And, and he had a harder time in the rough and tough world, but he, he said, you, you really need to keep in touch with the ditch. And I I have never forgotten that because, um, it, it's like, as good as things can get in life, you can't take it for granted. You have to know that if you've lost touch with a ditch, you've lost touch with life. And that was a really big thing. I know it sounds kind of funny, but that's a really big thing I learned from Charlie, because, you know, I think, I think that's what happens. People get really successful and they get really comfortable in life, but things can change on a dime and you, you can't, you can't let that, all that success and that beauty and that glory um uh hide the real reality of life which there's always the opposite going on at the same time and i think in order to stay stable in life in order to keep perspective in life and stay strong you you need to realize that the in in all the the wonderfulness the other side is right there too for a reason because there's a balance in creation there's the yin and the yang and don't how no matter how good it gets don't forget how it was at one point <laughs> no matter how rich you get don't ever forget what it was like to be poor you know that that kind of a concept and that's that's what he really taught me right, one margo. of the things
0: <laughs> a lot of those different things and i think that people are going to be wanting to reach out to you to find out about the medicine bag but go to lightinthemorning.com and reach out to margo that way and then her book is available in all finer bookstores and i appreciate it margo again Uh, for coming on and we'll continue to go to chapter 10. And then who knows what these conversations could go deeper, especially the medicine bag. Now people more and more, I want to learn more about how to create a medicine bag and other people I'm sure as well. So I appreciate it, Margo.
5: You're welcome, Neil. Nice talking to you. All
0: right. That was the light of the morning podcast guys. Take care. And welcome to Every Child Can Learn. And I'm excited to welcome to the program, our host, Phil Maycomer. Phil, how are you? Thanks for stopping by again for this great conversation.
4: I am so excited about our episode today because it really hits to the core of what we need to focus on, which is building bridges and not driving wedges in education. So I'm so excited also uh, for our guests for our episode. So let's get started.
0: Yes, uh, always. And I think what's great about it is that education, even though, Phil, it's very, very challenging times as educators with the challenges of virtual versus in person versus changing back to virtual, that the ultimate goal is to serve families. And this is the perfect topic for today's show, because without families and without teachers, education, kids cannot be educated. It has to be a team effort. And our question today is, how can we as educators better communicate with our families?
4: You know, Neil, I think it all comes down to establishing trust. You know, we need to remember that trust and respect are earned over time. It's not an automatic thing. Learning how to build trust with families is critical as an educator because you do not just teach who's in front of you. When you teach a child, you serve a family. Now, you might not even be sure how to define trust. So I think we should all get on the same page with that. So let's start here, okay? Trust is being able to have a sense of security and confidence when interacting with someone. I think it's having the ability to predict that someone will act in specific ways and be dependable. And trust involves earning a level of credibility. I call it street cred that has built up over time. And trust is a critical part of all interactions, and it is at the core of communicating with others. And I could not think of more appropriate guests to join our conversation today than Julie Pyle and Laura Gilchrist, co-founders of Virtual Parent Camp, to discuss creative ways of how educators can better communicate with families. So, Neil, how about we start with me telling our listeners a little bit about both of our guests, okay?
0: That would be perfect.
4: Okay. So, Julie Pyle is the president of Parent Camp, and she has a passion for bringing families, schools, and communities together to build connected ecosystems which support all kids to reach their greatest potential, Now, she serves as a school board member in Boone County, Kentucky, and Julie is a Parent Leader Award recipient and an Ed Trust Family and Pritchard Committee CIPL fellow. She couldn't be more down-to-earth and approachable and accessible. Her counterpart, Laura Gilchrist, is vice president of Parent Camp, and she believes that the only way forward is together as one family school community engagement team for kids. Spot on. In this role, Laura helps school and school district teams move from what we would call compliance-based to connection and collaboration-based engagement for family schools and communities. Laura has taught and coached in elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools in Kansas City for over 20 years, and was a 2015 Teacher of the Year finalist in the state of Missouri. So welcome, Julie, and welcome, Laura.
6: Thank you, Phil. We're so excited to be here.
4: Absolutely, super excited and honored. Oh, well, I have to tell you, when I first met you and you reached out to me, I think it was on Twitter, Julie, right? Yeah, it and, was. Yeah. And you, we started a conversation, and then you asked me to uh, attend and eventually facilitate a parent camp session. It honestly was a game changer for me in opening my eyes of, about how valuable parent camp is for both school professionals and families and it was to me it was such a bridge building type of experience so one i want to thank you for the opportunity to do that and i look forward to our future collaborations as well Um, but you both do such wonderful work with parent camp and julie i'd like you to just uh speak just a little bit um in you know like two or three quick sentences about your take on what Parent Camp offers. And then I'd like Laura to follow up on that as well. So go ahead, Julie.
6: Well, Parent Camp provides an opportunity for families and educators to build that relationship, build a trusting relationship. And as you mentioned, that that happens over time. Um, And so what it does is it provides an environment where the power differential is taken away. So, typically, when a parent goes to an event at school, there's always kind of that power where the educators and administrators are a little bit higher and the parents are lower. And, you know, parents aren't seen as the experts. And so, what Parent Camp does, everybody needs to feel seen, heard, and valued. And Parent Camp provides the opportunity for everybody to have that feeling of seeing heard and valued and meeting our, some of our core human needs. And so it just provides a non-judgmental safe place to have conversations, to be vulnerable and to provide the opportunity to ask questions without feeling stupid. Um, nobody, Not everybody knows everything and we don't know what we don't know. So it provides that, just that safe space that everybody feels welcome.
4: And Julie, what I love about your philosophy is that you then bring that in in a coaching way to school districts to.